great to see you all here tonight, as we said earlier on. And uh, we're going to think tonight and, and pray about evangelism, how we share our faith. And this is a really important thing to do because, as many of you know, in February time here, we're going to run Alpha. And Alpha is just this amazing way for each of us to encourage people that we know and love who don't yet follow Jesus to come into a non-threatening environment where they can explore what Christianity is all about, ask whatever questions they have, and hopefully meet with God. There are people in this room tonight who came to faith as a result of Alpha. It is a wonderful, powerful tool. And we're encouraging every single one of us to be inviting people to come along. And I say every single one of us because this challenge includes everybody in leadership in the church. We're challenging ourselves to lead in the way in which we invite people to come along. I've been in so many churches where people stand at the front and say, come on, we need to get people along. Why don't invite people and they never invite anybody themselves? We don't want to do that. You know, there's three or four families in our street that, that we want to prayerfully invite along to Alpha. Maybe some might say no, some might say yes, but I'm sure there's people that all of us know who we could be inviting along to this course prayerfully and just trusting that God is going to work in their lives. It could be so significant. But evangelism, sharing our, our faith, is much more than just a course. It is something that encapsulates all aspects of our lives, the way we live, and also in how we, we take opportunities to share our faith with people. And if we're being honest, evangelism is something that we all can, can struggle with. We can all find difficult, me included. And there can be things that hinder us as we seek to step out and to be a witness to God. And that's why tonight I, I want us to think and pray about things that do hinder our evangelism. That can sound maybe like a little bit of a, a negative way to approach tonight, but I hope actually it'll be hugely positive in the way it focuses our hearts on God and the way it stirs our spirits and in the way it sends us out to be the witnesses that we know God wants us to be. He wants to work through you. He wants to use you and me. And I just pray that we'll get that into our hearts. So we're going to think about firstly, what hinders the church in evangelism? And then secondly, what can hinder each of us as we seek to share our faith? So firstly, if you're taking notes, you'll find some of this very useful. Firstly, what hinders the church in evangelism? Sometimes we can be tempted to think that one of the big things hindering church is the times in which we live. You're probably familiar with the phrase people would use when they say that our society is gospel hardened. And I would like to say something about that phrase. And whilst it is true that there are those in society who are hardened to the gospel, whilst it's true that the perception many people have of church is a negative one, let's be honest, people, we're, we're known more for what we're against than for what we're for in, in society. And whilst it's true that, that, that secularism would give us this impression that, that people are very happy and content and seem to be able to float and go through life with any, at ease without any great need of God. Whilst all that 
is true. Often I think that gospel-hardened phrase can be a huge excuse from a church that is struggling in its commission to reach the lost. And when we say church, we're saying church with a capital C, i.e. the church in this nation, not just this fellowship, but the church at large. It can be used as a huge excuse from a church that is struggling to reach the lost. Often, the greatest stumbling block to people becoming Christians is the church. And it's a bizarre Worrying thing, actually, to say that because we are God's chosen agent to bring his light to the world. But often, the greatest stumbling block to people becoming Christians is the church. Now, in saying that, and for the purpose of balance, one of the the benefits I've had from my experience in ministry and traveling about a lot is that you get to build up a big picture of what God is doing right across the nation. And there is no doubt that God is at work. There is no doubt that God is working out his purposes. But it seems to me, it feels like to me that we're almost experiencing the trickles, trickles of, of God's blessing. Whereas what we need to be doing is praying for the deluge. Praying for the deluge. We had Storm Elner. How ridiculous was this tweet that a storm was named after your good self? How disrespectful. (laughs) But when we see the impact of a deluge, that's what we need to be praying for in our nation. A deluge, an outpouring of God's spirit in our land like we have never seen before because we desperately need revival. We desperately need revival. And one of the reasons why that's the case is because revival always starts in the church. It always starts with you and me and awakening us sometimes from our sleep and our apathy, to be the people that we can and should be in God. And there is awakening needed because there are things hindering the church and evangelism and we need to pray about and against them this evening. And whilst you'll probably hear that some of these points are things that we really need to take on as a leadership in the church, it's important for us all to be aware of what stumbling blocks there are. And this is not an exhaustive list. But here's the first stumbling block that can hinder evangelism. When a church does not value reaching the lost. When a church does not value reaching the lost. You see, something that I've picked up is that there are a lot of fellowships out there who give lip service to their evangelism. There are a lot of fellowships who can talk the talk. There are a lot of fellowships who actually believe in the importance of evangelism, but don't value it. And that has taught me a very important spiritual lesson, which is this. It is not just what we believe that makes a difference. It's what we value that will. It's not just what we believe that makes a difference. It's what we value that will. You see, we can believe all we want about the importance of anything spiritual. Say like praying. But if we're not daily praying, no matter how important we believe prayer is, we're not praying because we don't value it enough. We can believe in the importance of anything spiritual like prayer. 
But if we're not daily praying, no matter how important we believe it is to pray, we're not praying because we don't value it enough. And the reality is we'll always make time in our lives for what we value. It's not just what we believe that makes a difference. It's what we value that will. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Brilliant. The son of man has come to seek and save the lost. That was his primary focus and his primary purpose. And when we look at how he lived, when we look at what he, he allowed himself to go through on the cross, it shows us how much he didn't just believe in his purpose, but he valued it. He valued his purpose. And as church followers of Jesus, we need to value this purpose too. Not just give lip service to it. We need to value it and constantly value it. Now I know that evangelism is something that should flow naturally from the relationships we have with God. But if you're anything like me, you also know that we need to be intentional. Intentional and strategic in how we look at and value evangelism. And in many fellowships, it comes well down the pecking order. In our own denomination, how many churches are employing an evangelist as an evangelist and releasing them in that ministry? How many? And it's not just our denomination. This is right across the board. It's way down the pecking order. You see, I honestly believe this. The church needs to rediscover that it's part of a cause. A cause that wants to advance, not sit comfortably like we're doing tonight in church, but a cause that wants to advance. You know, whenever you, you, you see people who are out on, on strike, well, you mightn't agree with what they're doing or what they're saying. What we can actually see there is passion. We can see people who are part of a cause. We can see people who are wanting to influence change. And boy, does the church need some of that. Boy, does the church need some of that. Because Christianity, in many parts, has lost that sense of being a movement. And it's just become another world religion. In many parts, it has lost that sense of being a movement. And it's just become another world religion. So the first stumbling block hindering church in evangelism is when it's not valued. And we must pray tonight and in an ongoing way that as a church, we will always value evangelism, that it's at the heart of everything we do and how we live. We must never and we're repeating this one. We must never become content as a fellowship with transfer growth in our church. Yes, our doors are open and anybody is welcome in this family, but we must prioritize kingdom growth through seeing people come to faith. It's not just what we believe that makes a difference. It's what we value that will, and we need to value evangelism. Before I go on to the second point, I would love us just for a minute to close our eyes and just in the quietness. If somebody feels that they want to lead us audibly in prayer, that's okay. But I'm just saying, just in the quietness for a minute, I want you in your 
present situation, just ask yourself that question. Do I really value reaching the lost? I want us all to think about our individual Christian lives outside of these four walls and ask ourselves, are we living authentic Christian lives? Maybe if we just need to at the start of this evening just to give ourselves over to God and just say, Lord, I really want to live for you. I really want to be that authentic Christian who isn't motivated by programs or whatever, but just motivated by my heart for you. And I want to deeply value this great purpose and this great call in my life to reach the lost. Just take a minute to reflect and and to pray before we go on to our, our second point. Father, thank you that you hear the cries and the deep cries in some of our cases tonight from our hearts. We desperately want our lives to count. We desperately want to be the people that you want us to be. And thank you for your grace that accepts us exactly the way we are. Help us, Lord, to, to draw closer to you and to value what's being said here by the way we act and by the way we respond. Because we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Secondly, here's another stumbling block hindering church in evangelism. Relevance. Relevance. On the the screen, you can see the picture of what is the the Choloteca Bridge in Honduras. It's a very famous bridge, and it's a, a really interesting story, actually. It was built to withstand the worst of hurricanes. And its big test came in 1998 when Mitchell's family waited for it. Hurricane Mitch blew into town. Now we've had Storm Elner and we've now heard about Hurricane Mitch. And Hurricane Mitch is a little bit uh, more damaging than, than Storm Elner was last night. And it wreaked havoc. It devastated the nation's infrastructure. And there were 150 Honduran bridges ruined and de- destroyed in four days, but not the Choloteca Bridge. It survived with minor damage. And Wikipedia says this, that the, the, the bridge itself was in nearly perfect condition. The roads on either end had gone completely, leaving no visible trace of their prior existence. More impressively, it says, the Chulateca River, which is several hundred feet wide, had carved itself a new channel during the massive flooding caused by the hurricane. It was no longer flowing beneath the bridge, which now spanned dry ground. The bridge is known as the bridge to nowhere. So here we have this strong bridge and in pretty much perfect condition. If you stand on it, you can see for miles. If you, it can withstand hurricanes and all the rest of it. But there's one thing this bridge will not do and that's get you across the river. There's one thing the bridge will not do and that's get you across the river. It cannot do the function it was created for. 
Now in 2003, the bridge was reconnected to the highway, but it still will not get you across the river. Our second point about what hinders evangelism for church is relevance. If ever there was a picture that can sum up parts of the the church, it's this one. Because 50 years ago, we lived in a very different society and different world. People were more inclined to come to church. But what has happened since then is society has changed and society has carved out new channels to flow down. And what has happened is that many parts of the church have just stood still and are not able to connect any longer. Maybe because some of them are still doing the same things they did 50 years ago. They built their evangelistic bridge, their evangelistic strategy all those years ago. And hey, it was great. There's a few people walked across it and and gave their lives to Jesus. But as a result, they're still doing the same thing 50 years later, but the river's moved. And lots of these churches are not prepared to change. They hope that society might start to flow back under their bridge because they're not prepared to change. Society has changed, folks. Culture has changed. But so many churches have not embraced that paradigm shift. And if they continue the way they are, they will just remain a relic to the past. Irrelevant, standing isolated and disconnected. And in years to come, we'll shut their doors and be bought over by a Chinese restaurant, a museum or a library or whatever. I know a church, I'll not give you the name, but I know the church that used to have 1,500 people every week. Right now, they meet in the choir box of that church every Sunday. They meet in the choir box of the church every Sunday. Now, I find that devastating. I find it really hard to understand why in the process of that decline did somebody not step back and say, what's going on? What is going on that they're prepared to get to the stage where a handful of people sit in a choir box in this big monument and relic to the past? And I believe that this was a big problem for them. They wouldn't change, but the river moved. Now, don't get me wrong here, because strategy is not the be all and the end all. The most important focus for us in evangelism is the authentic lives that we live in front of people. However, some churches have devised strategies that might be impressive strategies like that bridge, but their lack of connection with society makes it irrelevant. And this sort of thing happens when churches sit in their wee meetings and they start to come up with all these ideas as to how they can reach out and connect with their society and they don't actually bother to talk to or get to know their community and to find out what the big needs are in the community. Earlier uh, last year, um, when I, I was doing a project actually with Orangefield Presbyterian, in an area of East Belfast called Clondoff. And we went with a questionnaire, and the questionnaire had a two-pronged focus. It was an evangelistic tool, because if you went through all the questions, you would generally get to be speaking to people about God and their views on God and Jesus. But it was also an information tool to help the church find out what their community was about. 
Because if we go around Clondoff and we find that 90%, use an extreme, of the community is over the age of 70, well, we don't need to start a youth club. But how many churches are starting their youth club when there are so many single mums in the community who need to be reached or, or when there's so many other different needs, but they're just, oh, here's a good idea, but they never connect with their community and actually find out what is going to meet the need. And this is one good reason why we would love to do something. And you know, even thinking about uh, with a senior pastor coming this year, it would be amazing to be able to give to him a really good quality piece of work, of information about Dundonald. The makeup of Dundonald, all the different communities in Dundonald, what the social needs, what the different needs and concerns of people are, because knowledge is power, and that sort of knowledge should fuel our evangelistic strategy instead of, well, here's a nice idea. Second stumbling block, hindering churches and evangelism is relevance. Churches need to build new bridges and reconnect with society. The Apostle Paul always looked for relevance. Always looked for relevance when he reached out to people. When he spoke to the philosophers and the Areopagus in Athens, he spoke about the unknown God. He used their culture. He used their beliefs as a, to lay the platform to be able to present the gospel. But what he didn't do was then go on to the next town and think, do you know what? That was a good wee message I gave about an unknown God. I'll give that message here tonight. In a different culture where it's irrelevant. No, he always strived to be relevant to the people that he was reaching. 1 Corinthians 9, 22, Paul said, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might win some or save some. He always sought to be relevant to the people that he was reaching out to in his church. We must pray that we are always the same, that we always strive to maintain relevance, that firstly and foremostly, we are those authentic Christians living as the church scattered. This is the church gathered, but when we become the church scattered every week and go into our workplaces where you'll meet people that your leadership team here will never meet. That's, you know, God never came up with a strategy for evangelism and say, this is something that the church leaders do. Why would he do that when you meet people that we'll never meet? But that we're going into our arenas every day to live those authentic Christian lives. But we must also strive for relevance as a church. And that must never come in the guise of compromise. We must never become worldly to try and placate or try and reach people. Never, you know, the Bible's clear about that. James, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. We must never compromise on what we do, but we must strive for relevance, not building bridges for rivers that have moved, but we're continually looking to connect. Do you know things are great in church at the minute? And just to encourage you, <laughs> Christmas 2016 and Christmas just passed, there were groups of people from the church who went out to deliver, deliver shortbread around different communities. Um, after the Christmas 2016 dispatch, a family came to church. 
purely on the back of getting some shortbread from the church. A few months ago, they became members of the church. Brilliant. I was at the door of church on Sunday and I met a lady from Tully Carnot who was here with her daughter. And you know why she came to church? Listen, she came to church because some lovely young people from this church came to her house and delivered her shortbread. And that's superb. Isn't that absolutely brilliant? It's really good. Actually, it could be so strategically important. We have only one member in this church who lives in the general area of Tully Carnot. That could be one of the most significant breakthroughs for us in terms of starting to connect with people in that area that we have seen. Fantastic. But let's not find ourselves delivering shortbread in 10 years if the river has changed and it's become irrelevant because we had two good years of it. Let's always be thinking about what works. We're about to do Alpha. And we're praying that this could be a fantastic time of outreach. But let's not be doing Alpha in 10 years' time if the river has moved and society has changed and it's not going to be relevant for where we are at or society is at as a church or organizations. Are we running programs that are current or are they programs that have been run for 10 years? 10 years ago, they were brilliant, but the river's moved and we need to step up and we need to start pushing the boundaries again in terms of relevance and what we're doing. We must always strive for relevance, folks. And we should never be arrogant enough to think that we could become irrelevant or not become irrelevant or that in 15 years' time, the Chulateka Bridge is a picture of Dundonald Elam. God forbid it. Relevance is a continual journey and a continual cost. Before we go on to the, the third point, Brian Grimshaw is going to just lead us in a prayer just about our community, about our impact, our, our outreach, and our relevance in the society in which we're part of. So let's all close our eyes, and Brian, if you could lead us, that would be brilliant. Thank you.
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Yes, we're always going to have worldly opposition to what we seek to do. But if we want to truly evangelism, value evangelism and be relevant in our outreach, we're also going to have spiritual opposition. I remember uh, a number of years ago, my eyes were really opened up to this um, when we did a, a mission in Carrick, Fergus. And there's a huge witch's coven in, in Carrick, Fergus. And their attack was real and it was genuine. And what they used to do was they used to record curses on the tape, on the tapes, and then they would take the tape out of the little cassettes and they would spread them around the perimeter of the church grounds as a curse. Remember, when we held the mission, it was actually in a building, it was a leisure center, or, sorry, a community center where this witch's coven also met. And when we had our meeting, there were witches in the car park praying against everything that we were doing. Praise God, there was people saved right into the enemy's stronghold. People were saved and released from their darkness. But praying, there was a gentleman there who, and I've heard this before as well, and he, he said, he was a, a converted witch, and he said that most witches' covens around the province strategically place witches in churches every Sunday, like just like normal people, not with pointy hats, just like normal people sitting in the pews praying against what's happening. And we have churches that are sitting arguing over the color of carpet and what side of the church the piano goes on. We need to get a grip. We need to absolutely get a grip and realize that if we want to truly value evangelism, we will have opposition. We don't need to fear it. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We're on the winning team. We don't need to fear this. We just need to be aware of it. And some opposition is obvious and some opposition is subtle. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. And we need to have the same discernment. Now, there are obvious things that Satan will use to hinder our impact, like disunity. I, I, I would love to preach sometime on, on, on unity in the church. John says in, or Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And then when he was close to the cross, Jesus in John 17, he prayed for us. And what he prayed, one of the things that he was praying was that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Why? So that the world will know the Father has sent them. Wow. Our evangelistic impact is directly related in Scripture to our unity. So, hey, any wonder that the, the devil's at his work all across the land? Our evangelistic impact is directly related to our unity. And we need to watch and protect that whenever, with everything that we have. But those are obvious ones. But sometimes I find as, as we mature as Christians, Satan will also tempt us subtly and that he's happy for us to 
run after spiritual things that seem legitimate, but they actually take our eye off the real goal. He's happy for us to run after spiritual things that seem legitimate, but actually take our eye off the goal. What subtle schemes will Satan come up with to hinder our evangelism? Well, most of these subtleties revolve around inward thinking. We love this church. We're committed to it. We all want to be involved in it. And absolutely that is, is right. But there becomes a problem when our love for the church becomes more than our love for God. Where it's our ministries that get us out of bed in the morning. They're what fuel our prayer lives and not our love and our genuine passion for God. There's a subtle but a significant difference in that. And I think Satan's very happy for us to be distracted from what's important, which is our love for God. <laughs> and he's very happy with that. And because at the heart of evangelism is our love, how we work out our love for God, you can see how that one becomes a hindrance. And we're thinking, we love this church. We love the fellowship we have with each other. I can't wait to have coffee afterwards and just enjoy the crack and the fun and the atmosphere. And that's absolutely brilliant. But I reckon Satan's very happy if we only ever start to hang out with Christians. Because if we do, then we're losing connection with the lost. And relationship is bang smack at the center of effective evangelism. It's bang smack at the center of effective evangelism. We must never just be inward in our thinking. Yes, celebrate our fellowship, but we need to always be thinking out intentionally, building relationships with those outside of the kingdom. How many people are you or I intentionally developing a relationship with at the moment who is outside of the kingdom? Challenge yourself with that one because it's worth challenging yourself with it. It really is. How many people are we intentionally building a relationship with who are outside of the kingdom? Inward thinking also subtly keeps our focus on things that are legitimate, like internal issues. You know, there are so many churches, yes, there are things that need addressed, but there are so many churches that become consumed with internal politics and things like that, and it just Take their eye off the goal. Hey, look, if there's one thing the devil wants to stop us doing, it's sharing the gospel effectively. And some of the, the problems we've just mentioned are they're brought on by ourselves. But if we think the devil is anything other than happy to encourage us to not value evangelism or get stuck in the mud of irrelevance or be inward in our thinking, then we're mistaken. And we must pray against it with everything that we have. Stuart's going to come up and he's going to just play a bit of background music. And what I would love you to do, I know some, some of you struggle with this, so I, I, I just want you all to relax here, but I want you to get into groups of five or six in a minute and pray together. And I want to say, if there's nobody in your group praying, don't be awkward or feel awkward about that. Just you pray into yourself and think about the music. But we're encouraging you to, to really try and engage with this because this is one about our unity and our togetherness. And we need to lift up a cry from the church.
that lets the devil of hell hear and know we mean business. <laughs> we're not unaware of his schemes and we're praying that God will keep us tight and together. So if we could just get into groups of five or six and, and what I'll do is I'll lead us through just the next two or three minutes, that's all it'll be, and uh, then we'll go into our final section um, and I'll, I'll share with us what we could pray about. You'll just have to spin round or, or, or move across to people that are beside you in the rows. Or if you could do that quickly, it would be great. <laughs>